we can do, since we're, we've been doing Buddhist cosmology for some time now, uh, the long mandala will sort of give you a, a, a picture of uh, Buddhist cosmology. So we'll recite the long mandala. It's on page uh, 13. We won't go into the Tibetan because it's too long. <laughs> and I want you to have some understanding of what you're saying. <laughs> okay. uh, the first syllable, which is in Sanskrit, and then the first syllable, the first uh, phrase, which is in Sanskrit, is supposed to be a blessing mantra. Om Bajra Bhumi Ahom. This is the adamantine golden ground. Om Bajra Rike Ahom. It is encircled by an outer fence of iron mountains. In the center is Sumeru, the king of mountains. In the east is the continent Bideha, in the south Jambudvipa, in the west Godaniya, and in the north Kuru. These are the pair of subcontinents sitting on either side of each continent, Deha and Bideha, Chamara and Aparachamara, Shata and Uttara Mantrina, Kuvara and Kauvara. These are the unique assets, one of each of the continents. The jewel mountain, the wishing tree, the cow that fulfills all desires, and the crop that needs no cultivation. These are the eight articles of royalty, the precious jewel, the precious gem, the precious queen, the precious minister, the precious elephant, the precious horse, the precious general, and the treasure-filled vessel. These are the eight offering goddesses, the actress, the garland-bearer, the songtress, the dancer, the flower-bearer, the incense-bearer, the lamp-bearer, and the perfume-bearer. These are the sun, the moon, the jeweled parasol, and the victory banner. Adding to this all the riches possessed by gods and men, in abundance and living no form excluded, I offer it to the glorious root and lineage gurus, who are most kind and holy, and to the great Losong Tuong Doje Chang's divine assemblage, together with their retinue. In your compassion, please accept it for the sake of all beings. Once you have accepted it, Please bestow your blessings upon me. Ground. Well, we don't have to say that for us. Well. <laughs> this is a story you can say, Idam Guru Ratnaman Dalangam Niriyatariyami. The last part is the, uh, recognized as a short mandala. So we went into that so you can sort of have a picture in your mind of Buddhist cosmology. And when you're doing the mandala offering, you're offering the world. So that's the picked image of uh, the world uh, in Buddha, ancient Buddhist time. 
Okay, now we can do the refuge. Sangye Chodam Sangye Chodam Chanju Badu Dane Kapsuchi Daigye Chanye Gebe Sognangye Jola Tenchir Sangye Jubarashu Sangye Chodam Sangye Chodam Sanju Bhattu Dhani Kyapsuchi Dagi Chanya Gyebe Tsunam Ki Jola Benchiru Sanye Jubarusho Let's recite the last time in English. I go for refuge until enlightenment to the Buddha, Dharma and Supreme Assemblage. By the merit of listening to the Dharma, may I achieve Buddhahood for the sake of all beings. We're sort of uh, almost done with uh, Buddhist cosmology. We did do uh, a little bit of the actual geography, all right? Uh, geography would be the different, what we call them, the different uh, planes. Yes, that's the term that we use, right? Planes. So that would be the geography, the different planes. So we have the desire, form, and formless. Uh, with uh, we are in the desire, and human beings, the continents and the subcontinents that are described in this long mandala are refers, referring to the the places where human beings live. We are on the southern continent, which is called Jambudvipa. And exactly where is this southern continent? So far, none, no scholar has been able to, to, uh, to say exactly, oh, this is the southern continent. But speculations seems to be that the earth is, is Jambudviva. Some say uh, India is Jambudviva. But for, uh, for now, it seems like the more and more the growing consensus is that the earth is Jambudvipa, is the southern continent. Okay. And now that you hear, uh, because of the word continent, the way you understand the continent, how can the earth be the, a con- I mean, the earth is a planet. And it's not that uh, in Buddhism that there isn't a concept of planets. When they were describing uh, these continents, they were describing it seems like they were describing the earth because they do say 
the sun and moon, and and they consider the sun and moon to be uh, somewhere out out there, uh, detached physically from the from from what we call the 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 continents. Supposedly, uh, there is this vast area of a vast area that holds water in land, and it seems to be the Earth, right? Vast area that holds water in land, and it is divided into uh, islands uh, occupying the cardinal directions, and in the very center there's this mountain, and that's the Sumeru. And the relative uh, relative to Sumeru determines your your status. Those, but in, on a what do you call that? On a lateral kind of a relativity. So those who are above are higher than those who are below, and those who are above that are higher in terms of uh, 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 birth status, so to speak. Okay. The other continents, the northern continent, Kuru, the eastern continent, the western continent, uh, so far seem to exist completely in myth. Like there's some sort of uh, uh, this mythology of other continents that exists along with our continents that so far we have not had one visitor from those continents. And no one, well, I heard that somebody actually, uh, Warren mentioned that there's this Lama who, it seemed like he was kidding his son, but it's a story that he gave his son, that uh, he went to visit uh, one, of the con- one of the other continents, and he actually brought something back. And that thing that he brought back is, some, uh, uh, I think, uh, is uh, something that the son has in- inherited. And uh, knowing... Well, from a little bit that I know about Tibetans, and uh, from the sound of the story, it seems like the father just made up a story and told the kid, "Oh, you know, none of your business where I got this. Okay, you want to know where I got? It? I got it from the northern continent. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> not that he mentioned it in that kind of attitude, <laughs> and then because the father was this very high lama." I'm sure the, uh, he was also serving as the lama of, of, uh, of, this, of this kid. And, the, and you're supposed to uh, take every word that your lama take, uh, says with, you know, with, with uh, seriousness. So he probably took, well, I'm saying it, it uh, interpreted that way, he probably took the joke to be, oh, it cannot be a joke. There must be a lesson there. He must have really gone to that other continent. That's my uh, skeptical kind of uh, mind interpretation of, of the story. Or you could have gone to a place called Northern Continent and actually brought back you know, a rock. Okay. And right now it's in the, the home of this uh, Lama, I don't know, where, you know, Bhutan, I don't know, <laughs> where he lives. If he's in California, I mean, I really would like to come visit, come and go and see that rock to see what are his properties and what makes it so northernly continental. <laughs> So, and each of the continents are supposed to have uh, what we call subcontinents, hmm? and they are and they are explained here: deha, videha, taradaras, and so forth. Hmm? 
and where it says each of these continents has its own uh, assets. So the assets are supposed to be for what for the co- continents, right? You have, uh, and and it's, it's according to. Uh, uh, so you have uh, the jeweled mountain, the wishing tree, the cow that fulfills all desires, and crop that needs uh, no cultivation. And just like in the how the continents are listed, starting from the east. So these attributes goes goes to each one of those in, in that order. Mm-hmm. So the the jewel mountain is found in the eastern continent. The wishing tree is found in in in, in our continent. A, a tree that fulfills wishes. I, I, I should, we should have an expedition so we can find that tree. Forget about the lottery, you know. <laughs> find that find that tree, and you can make your wishes come true. Uh, the western continent has a cow that fulfills all desires. So they have cows. They have cows, yeah. And humans. And humans. No, all, all these all these continents have human beings. Yeah, on yeah that's what I mean. So yeah. They have cows and they have cows over there, but oh. not, not just any kind of cows. A cow that fulfills all desires. Well, at least one. At least one. <laughs> And the the northern continent has crop that needs no cultivation. These are the special attributes of each one of those continents. And you can sort of imagine that Jambudvipa is really uh, India. And then looking at its neighbors to the north and to the east and to the west and knowing the neighbors to have uh, those specific attributes, like you could say, you know, the best leather is found in, I don't know, where was the best leather, leather found? In Italy. Okay, we just say it. Okay, Italy. So Italy would be like the, 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 the attribute would be the leather that, I don't know, what, what, what's, what's good attribute for leather? <laughs> Soft. Soft. Mm, yeah, the soft, the, the land of the softest leather. Yeah, something like that. Okay, so that would be uh, Italy. All right. So you can sort of see that uh, the cow that fulfills all desires. You can sort of see it as uh, remember there was a time going back to ancient civilization where cows were considered to be uh, almost like currency. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so you can sort of see that uh, was the cow again? The cow is where in the, in the west. Yeah, in, in, it's in the West, right? In the West. The cow is in the West. So you can sort of imagine into the West of, of India, uh, they probably had uh, uh, people there who, who did a lot of work with cows. <laughs> we had, we had you know, great, uh, uh, what do you call that? Uh, herds. Herds of, 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 of cows. And, okay. and the crop that needs no cultivation... They probably uh, imagine there was a place where you know uh, the land is so wonderful that you know you, you literally don't have to work the land. You know everything grows there. So you can sort of imagine if, if you want to imagine that this uh, vision of the of, of our world to be corresponding to some vision that uh, ancient I- Indians had. You can sort of imagine that uh, maybe they just sort of things to be that way. Where you find jewel, you go 
jewel is probably found in the east. And I don't know what the wish, wishing tree is uh, in, in the south, what, what they would have attributed to that, but... Uh, would that be the Buddha tree? Yes. The Buddha tree? Uh, maybe. Uh, maybe uh, th- th- some sort of fascination with trees in, in, in some uh, culture in, in ancient India that they considered that they, they were the home that owned this very special tree. That maybe there, there was a tree that used to make, there was a time they used to go make wishes on, on, on a certain kind of tree. And they thought that it, would, it would come true because of the, of the special quality of the tree. So all that I'm saying is just, there might be some actual happening, some actual uh, observation as to why, I mean, why would they say that in the north that there is this continent where the human beings live to be 500 years old? When you can actually walk there to see if you, if, 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 you know, ask him what, what's their diet at least, you know, how do you get to live to be 500 years old? Why do they say that when, when it can be verified so easily? Okay. Because uh, you can understand at that time uh, uh, there were no trains, <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, by boat would take you know. Uh, remember the story of Atisha traveling from India. I don't know exactly from where from India, but going to Sri Lanka. How many? How long did it take? It took months by boat to get to to Sri Lanka. Wasn't there also one where they were going to Indonesia? Yeah, Indonesia, yeah. There was that one too. No, that, yeah, that, uh, Indonesia. It was Indonesia uh, Atisha went to. And it took months to get there. So you can just imagine uh, there's this land that they were on and they walked to a certain distance and they see water, they walked to another distance, they see water. Oh, we must, this earth must be completely surrounded uh, there must be a lot of water with land plopped up in, 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 in different places on, 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 the, on the water. And if you travel a certain distance, you will find uh, land. You will find land. So there must be you know, other land in different places that they imagine to be where they can't. it's sort of very difficult to try to get there. And it could be that some people get lost out in sea, and they think that oh, they landed. They must have landed in uh, in one of those uh, uh, other continents because it took it, it, since it took so long just to get to the subcontinent. It must take much in, uh, longer to even to get to the other continents. And by the time you get there, you're so old you can't. Uh, you're too old to return. <laughs> if you try to return, you will just be returning, and your corpse will be returning. Okay. Does he make any mention about, like, they say they're the south, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, are they thinking flat? Like, are they thinking of, like, the world being flat? They're yeah, thinking of the world being flat. Yeah. Also. yeah. <laughs> Another point for Bill said about it could be the Bodhi tree, but this, this, this picture of the world predates Bodhi tree, right? Yeah. So that wish, the idea of the wish of Femme was probably before there was the Bodhi tree. Oh, I mean that species of tree. Oh, that species of tree, but not the tree. Not the Bodhi, yeah, 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 
Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Buddha probably chose that tree because it had that myth about it. Oh, yeah, that could be too, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. How when was this come up with? When, 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 do you know the time frame? Oh, no. No, we don't really have a time frame. I guess for as... We don't know exactly uh, uh, how much of this is purely Buddhist and how much of it is uh, pre-Buddhism. But definitely the, f- the, the framework for it is pre-Buddhism. And uh, you'll find uh, hints of it in the, in the Vedas. Ah, interesting. Yeah. But you will not find a definite, you know, picture of the world in one in just one place in the in the Vedas. But you will see mention here and there. Okay. What are the Vedas? That's the pre Buddhist uh, religion. Uh, well not really not really religion, but uh, uh, it, I guess that's what Hin what the religion of Hinduism, that's their scripture. Yeah. And Buddhism along with uh, this is a very interesting thing that in ancient times people felt freer to think (laughs) than we do Uh, in India at least in India you had a very established tradition that that, uh, and they had a, a scripture the Vedas and the Vedas were considered to be, you know, words of, like the words of divine words, and no one can question them, and to question them would be a sin. And you had people like the Buddha, who completely said, uh, "Sorry, uh, as far as I know, a book is written by a guy. <laughs> I didn't see any book fall from the sky." So somebody wrote that. Somebody or some people together got together and, and wrote that thing you're calling the Veda. And the same way, when someone talks to me and say and say something, I have uh, I have I feel and you and we all feel it's natural for us to question what they're saying. I feel it's natural it's natural for me to question what what these books are saying. And if I don't agree with it, I'm not going to agree with it. If it doesn't make sense to me, I'm not going to force myself to to accept it. And the Buddha wasn't just the only one. There were other movements going around. There was, so there were, you could, uh, Buddha, uh, uh, religion in India is really separated into two, two, into two categories. Those who follow the Vedas, and they have the different branches, and those who don't follow the Vedas. That is, those who don't take the Vedas as authority, as a, as a point to, to, ref, to, to refer to. And those who don't follow the Vedas as, as authority, uh, uh, Buddhism, Jainism, uh, there are some others also. We don't, don't, see the Vedas as, okay, that's somebody's idea. It's nice for them, but for me, it's, it doesn't explain things to me, for me. And I don't have to, I, it's not some authority that I have to follow. If I don't follow, then I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm destroying the... the, the, the the fabric of, 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 of existence of reality or something like that. Okay. Uh, so, but still, there there you could say underlying uh, understandings that are shared by all of them. 
those who follow the Vedas and those who don't follow the Vedas. And there was this growing movement happening in India uh, uh, that, 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 that sort of caught on fire, so to speak. Uh, a movement about trying to explain uh, reality, trying to explain, uh, you know, almost like, uh, uh, what was that? Not, not the Renaissance kind of thing. More like the time of, uh, in ancient, uh, the time of uh, uh, Plato, Socrates, you know, th- there was this thing going on through, actually, not just in, 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 uh, in, uh, in Greece and Rome, and, I mean, in Greece, but also happening in other parts of the world around that same time, where people were questioning established traditions. You had Socrates going around making people crazy, asking people silly questions. You know, people were saying, oh, it's, that's not virtuous, and Socrates is asking, okay, what's virtue? You know, and, and drive, driving people crazy with, with those kinds of questions to the point where they, <laughs> they had him executed. <laughs> so there was this uh, uh, movement going on uh, uh, on the planet around the same time, 500, 600 <coughs> BC, uh, where people were questioning established uh, traditions. And the Buddha in, in India, and al- along with other people, who were doing the same thing. They were questioning uh, tradition. And at the same time, you had those who were, uh, what do you call it, um, fanatics? Not fanatics. Uh, fun- yeah, yeah, fundamentalist movements also. Okay. So in the same way, you had... Uh, people like Socrates and Plato and then people who were following them who were questioning uh, the gods and every, everything else. You had, you had people who were f- fundamentally devoted to the gods and saw that anyone who, who, who questioned them were, you know, were undoing the fabric of, of, of society, undoing the fabric of existence even. So, and, and so you had... But in India, uh, you had Socrates being... No, <laughs> taken to court and uh, and executed. Uh, in India, it was just uh, somebody would somebody has an idea, okay. <laughs> somebody has a followers, okay. It wasn't considered to be like uh, and and there were uh, and there were debates going on, heated debates going on 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 on, uh, on all sides. The winner of the debate would be the one whose ideas get. Uh, how do you say? Propagated. Propagated, and the one who lost the debate would have to take on the idea of of of, of, of the other one. Like if if someone defeated the Buddha in a debate, there wouldn't be a Buddhism right now. Everyone who was following the, uh, the Buddhism at that uh, the Buddha would follow whoever the the, the person who uh, defeated the Buddha. Okay. So they had. Because of that, they had a, a, a great system of, of uh, developing uh, debate. Uh, and, and because of that, you need logic, you need reasoning. So there were uh, systems of explaining what is reason, what is logic, what makes, what makes a good reason. So, and that filtered into Buddhism. That filtered into all the other uh, traditions uh, in, in India. And also here uh, in, in, uh, in ancient, you had the, the professional... What do you call them? The professional 
there was some sort of debate also happening in uh, because Socrates is now uh, Socrates and people like Socrates is, is questioning so it's forcing people to think to reason so that sort of brought up a system in, in the in uh, in the West a system, developing a system of, of reasoning where what, what do you call that they had this people who were professional at doing that delivering uh, lectures in public where they what do you call this oh, yes that's the word <laughs> Yeah. So, so there were people who actually went to school to learn how to do that. And it was for political, a lot of it was for political reasons. How do you persuade people toward, because they had some sort of democracy going on, so they have to, they, they have, you have to persuade others about your point of view. So there were people who actually went to learn to how to be, how to, I don't know, orate? <laughs> how to orate. So, so that developed a system of, of logic and reasoning. And that is something that sort of like permeated the entire, uh, somewhat the uh, entire Western uh, culture, even though you had, you had things put on top of it. Just like right now, even uh, uh, science in the, in, in the West, you, uh, some people who, who, who consider science to be like another religion and just, an, just another opposing side uh, to religion. Uh, even those who look at science as an opposing side to prove their point, <laughs> they would use science. Right? Uh, what I'm saying is true because no, science says so. Okay? And you have now, uh, 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 that may sound like, a, at least to a scientist, like a, to be like an uh, oxymoron, where there are people using science to prove creationism. Creationism is scientific. You have this, you have this, take a look at this data, it proves creationism. So they're using science to badmouth science. <laughs> okay. So, so, so you can say, just like here, in, uh, science is like the foundation that people put uh, things on. So in... in, in uh, in India, so there were all these commonly accepted ideas, and one of them was, okay, uh, 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 this is the world, this is, the, this is cosmology, these are the different kinds of beings that exist here. They have, the different groups have different uh, interpretations of those different groups. The, those who follow the Vedas consider the gods, the devas, to be uh, the finite beings, those to be worshipped, those to be aspired after, those who uh, you wish to become, you w those who wish in, in whose presence you wish to be. So for them, that's a finite goal. And you had uh, those outside of the Vedas who saw the uh, the true aim of of, of spirituality, of religion was those uh, f uh, very fine, immaterial states. So they would uh, meditate and then achieve infinite, a sense of infinite consciousness, and they considered that to be, oh, that's the, act, the ultimate objective of the, spir of the spiritual path. 
and the uh, the Buddha didn't say there was no such there was no such thing as Brahma. He didn't say there's no, there's no such thing as those or that that state called uh, infinite consciousness or infinite or infinite space. What he uh, what what is claimed in Buddhism is that the Buddha saw them, and then he was able to see there is something beyond them. And and that's why the Buddha was able to make the conclusion that Brahma is not the ultimate. That was the Buddha was able to say, instead of infinite consciousness, is not the ultimate, because there's something beyond beyond it. So the uh, uh, Buddhist cosmology, just like uh, I mean, every cosmology is uh, whether it is Western Christian cosmology or whether it is Buddhist cosmology, or whether it is Hindu cosmology, is divided into the pure and the impure. It is divided into the world, of, the world where we are in trial, tribulation, and suffering. And then there's a world where there is freedom, where, that, that everybody's aspiring to. In the West, we have more of a dichotomy uh, of ideas where you have those who who bicker as to exactly what is the, the state of that purity, exactly what is uh, the, the state, uh, what is the, uh, what is, what constitutes the suffering, what constitutes the, 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 the purity, the freedom. No, what we call, no, the, the worldly and then uh, heaven, the heavenly state. You have Catholicism that says there's a, what's that, a limbo, and then other Christians say there's no such thing, and some Christians say uh, uh, you don't go to heaven after you die. You, you stay your body. You stay in your body as it rots. And then they're waiting for that uh, second coming of Christ. And when the, when the Christ comes again, he will wake up the dead. Will reconstitute the bodies, and then the decision to go into heaven will be established. Okay. So so there's still that fundamental idea. There's a heaven, and there's where we are, and the heaven is where we're gonna go. How we get there, there's a, there's a, there's a uh, uh, disagreement among the different groups, right? So, Buddhism also has, there's where we are, and that's where we want to go to. It's a, it's a world kind of, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a continuation of, a, of, of, of being that, that goes from here to there. Uh, or what, what, what's interesting about Buddhism, that Buddhism includes the, what, the others call purity. It doesn't say no. It doesn't only say no. The uh, your purity doesn't exist. It says your purity is part of the impurity. Okay. There's a uh, what Buddhism is calling the purity uh, exists only within Buddhism. Okay. Uh, the explanation of that is you can say. The spiritual goal of Buddhism is to reach Nirvana, right, or Buddhahood. So that's the final, that's the final goal, and that's that's the goal that there's nothing beyond it. As far as the the, the those who follow the Vedas are concerned, the final goal is to be with the gods, to be with the Vedas, uh, to be with the devas. For them, there's nothing beyond that. There's not there's not there, there's nothing beyond the the, the, dev, the devas. That's those who follow the the the, the uh, there are nothing beyond the devas, and the devas uh, 
were born as they are, and they will continue to con- continue to, to be f- f- for as long as uh, there is existence to, to be that way. And for them, the uh, part of the trial and the suffering that you go to, the, the state that you have to get away from, includes reincarnation. So that idea is already there. So you reincarnate back and forth, reincarnate back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Okay. And until all of a sudden you are freed from that, from that, from that having to be reincarnated. So just like in, uh, in Western, uh, the general understanding of, of Western uh, religion, there is God, there is heaven, and everybody's going to be some, uh, have some sort of audience with God at the end. Someone, everybody's going to be in the presence of God. So that, 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 that's, that's the end goal. So, in the, in the, in the East, there is, there is the acceptance that there is a freedom from having to be reincarnated. So, it's not only the Buddhists who believe that there is a freedom from reincarnation. This idea already existed. And there's a pursuit there's a, a search for this method that will lead to uh, uh, no longer having to, to be reincarnated. Those who follow the Vedas believe that the end of that cycle of reincarnation ends when you, when you are with the gods. When you're with Brahma, when you're with Indra, when you're, when you're, when you're, when you're with, with those gods. Okay. And those who, are, who don't follow the Vedas, who see beyond, who, who, who are able to, in their experience, experience something beyond, uh, uh, so they're able to see something where the, uh, beyond the gods. That's the, the, what we might call the formless realms. Okay. And they see that, oh, when you reach the formless realm, when you experience an infinite state of consciousness, when you finish, when you're having your experience of meditation, an infinite sense of space, that's when you reach the end of the cycle of reincarnation. So you take those two systems together, and the Buddha went into the first one, that's according to Buddhism, went into the first one. He had a very, uh, it is said that he had a very open-minded sort of approach to it. Like, I'm not going to say it is the, when you reach that state, it is the end, and I'm not going to say it is not. I'm going to see whether it is or not. So the Buddha, you could say, did whatever. So those who believe that Brahma is, is the end, so they have a method how to reach the state of, how to reach Brahma. Okay? How, to be, how to become one with Brahma. You probably have heard that. Okay? And when the Buddha practiced that and, and he achieved what they call having achieved one with Brahma, he saw that while in that state, is there something further than this? And he was able to see there were uh, uh, things. He was able to see that there are things uh, existent, way of existing further than this. And that's what made the Buddha conclude. Have, you could say, the, uh, yes, the state what you call in the Brahma exists, but for you to say that it is the final state, that's where you're wrong. It's like someone, uh, uh, I don't know goes to, travels all the way to Florida and says, oh, I found the end of the earth. It's Florida. Right? 
And that, that, the person then say, oh, no, beyond that is just ocean. Then bother to investigate the ocean to see if there were, uh, uh, you know, if there's anything beyond that. But because from their perspective, they, made, they, they concluded there's no more land. Because I, 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 all I see is water. So it's the same thing as those who, who, who think of the devas, Brahma and so forth, the form, what you're calling here the form realm, as this is the end. This is, this is, the, this is where you, when you reach moksha, when you, when you reach freedom. This is when you reach liberation. And the term nirvana, uh, uh, it is, a lot of the terms that you, you encounter in Buddhism, nirvana, uh, shunyata, emptiness, they're not unique in, uh, they're not unique terms that the Buddha uh, created, they came up with. These are terms that already existed. And then he sort of give them a, a, a Buddhist spin, so to speak. Okay? So you have and the Buddha having gone through the training and then, and then reached the end and then just like reached Florida and decided to say, wait a minute, I wonder if there's more land if I go beyond this. And, and, and Buddha actually ended up in Cuba or something. <laughs> so, and it would say, oh, there is something beyond, beyond Florida. So Florida is not the, the end of the earth. And, then he, and he came, the Buddha kept asking the question where, wherever he reached. I wonder if there's land beyond Cuba. And then he was able to go be, uh, travel the length of Cuba and then go beyond and, and found South America. Okay. <laughs> and he kept doing this, kept doing this, kept doing this. Okay. Until he reached a point where uh, his investigation found, oh, okay, this is the, the thing and I look for something beyond it, I can't find something beyond it. So, uh, he also uh, investigated those who were not, uh, the, 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 the methods of those who were not following the Vedas also. Those who, who imagined those very heightened meditative states to be uh, freedom. Like you practice meditation, you still your mind, you control your mind to the point where you're able to experience very refined states of mind if you're able to keep going, keep going into that state of mind and you die into that state of mind, you will reach moksha. You will, uh, you will reach freedom. You will reach freedom from the cycle of, 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 uh, of rebirth. And so the Buddha did those practices, reached that state, and while in that state, was able to investigate that state. And as he investigated that state, and he wanted to say, is there something further than this? And he found that there was something further than that. Okay. And when the Buddha finally arrived at what he, what, uh, he calls nirvana, and he said, oh, this is the moksha that people are looking for. This is the freedom from the wheel of suffering that people were looking for. This is the freedom that they thought they reached when they, went, when they, when they reached uh, Brahma. This is the freedom that they thought they reached when they reached those heightened uh, meditative states. This is what they were looking for. This is the one that, having reached it, I cannot find anything beyond it. And the sense of satisfaction that you are able to experience in that state completely fulfill your expectation of the, uh, the kind of satisfaction you were looking for. Okay. So that's the, the story of the, the, imp the importance or not importance 
I'm looking for another word. The relevance, I would say, of the of having a Buddhist system. Okay, so it's not that Nirvana was something that the Buddha created in his mind. It would be nice to have something called Nirvana that we can that everybody can get to. Let me let, let me create let me create a philosophy or system that you know that includes it. And 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 this is one of the reasons why uh, you read a lot that where the Buddha uh, doesn't like philosophies because he considers philosophies to be speculations about things. And and, and Buddha refuses to call Buddhism a philosophy. Philosophy in a sense of hmm, I wonder. If I do, if I, if this is true, okay. Since since the tree grows, there must be you know, and then and then out of your speculation, you come up with oh, that, that's reality right there. Okay, it's not something that you are directly experienced, but just some thinking that you had. Okay, so the, so the philosophy as to Brahma is the end goal is that somebody had an experience that was legitimate. And the Buddha had never discounted the legitimacy of their experience. The Buddha discounted the conclusion about that experience. It's like somebody, uh, a very crude example would be somebody taking LSD, for example. And then they have this wonderful trip. And then they, they draw a conclusion. To get to LSD is heaven. And you know, there were some religions that actually, no. LSD was their holy, uh, uh, holy, holy ghost. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, and they consider that to be. Uh, so it's, it's not that the experience that they had, it should be discounted. Of course, they had this wonderful experience, but the conclusion that they're drawing about the conclusion about 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 the experience, that's where they are wrong. Okay, and so the Buddha. That's why you see all these uh, things that are shared with oh, so many different, uh, so many different groups, so many different religions, so many different uh, organizations within Buddhism. But there's a different interpret, there's somewhat a slightly different interpretation of them. So the Buddhist cosmology now you have it includes what the Vedas say, it includes what those who don't follow the Vedas say, and it has a part of it that the, none of them, none of the others are talking about. Like you have the pure Buddha lands, you have Buddha, you have, and also with you have the cosmology. It is not only just the places where beings live, but also the beings, the type kind of beings who live there. So it includes all those beings and all those places that the other people are talking about, and it also has its own types of beings, its own types of places that you will find only in Buddhism. Okay. Like bodhisattvas, for example, are only within Buddhism. Not only within Buddhism, but only within specifically Mahayana Buddhism. Buddha lands, uh, Buddha, we call them, uh, Buddha, Buddha realms, Buddha heavens, those kinds of places that you hear about, they exist only within the cosmology of the, of the Mahayana, Mahayana Buddhists. So, so it's sort of like. Uh, you can't really say that, oh, this is what this one is calling that. Okay. As, from, the way, uh, from the way you see the history of how these things develop within Buddhism. Okay. 
it already includes so many things already, and it, and, and it has something that the others don't have. Okay. Uh, any questions so far? Huh? Is there a debate beyond the Buddhas? Uh, I mean, I, if he's debated that this is the end, who debates that? Well, so far, the, the, yeah, so far no one uh, has debated in that light. There are those who have debated that saying, no, the conclusion we reach here is correct. Your conclusion is wrong. So it's sort of like a more a debate of taking, of taking back. So th- th- there hasn't been a uh, there, so far. There have, maybe there maybe there was somebody who, who, who proposed something like that, but the idea wasn't so popular. It didn't survive. <laughs> yeah, so like once you're in Buddhahood, I was mm. like, oh well, no, this is this mm. is, can a bunch of Buddhists get together and debate? Yeah, this is this is the no, this is <laughs> you know. No, if a bunch of Buddhists got together, they would completely agree with each other. That's what I think. That's what both saying, but they start to debate. And say, well, listen, man, I'm a Buddha, and I had this experience in Buddhahood. Isn't the Actually, that idea does not come from the East. There is somewhat of an idea like that. That uh, I don't know if any of you has uh, in, uh, uh, come, come across it. That's theosophy. No. You ever heard of theosophy? Yeah, Madame, uh, Madame Blavatsky, Blavatsky, Annie Besant. No? So there was this. Uh, I went to a few years ago. Years ago, so you know a little bit about theosophy. Very little. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there was this uh, uh, somewhat of a. I mean, it, it still exists. It's not like it, it's died out. It's still there are still people who there are theosophists who, who you know still living. Uh, it's a growing organization. So their idea was somewhat of what, what you're what you're talking about. Now they included everything that's already here, just like Buddhism, and they say, "Oh, there's something beyond Buddhahood." Uh, for them, what they what they are proposing is that they they take the idea of evolution, and they say evolution is is infinite. Mm. It continues without it continues. So there are beings who are higher than Buddhas. That their evolution continues after after Buddhahood. It doesn't stop. Uh, so that, that idea so far has only I've, I've encountered only in the West, in, West, in Western, uh, Western. But uh, in the East, uh, they have different. I, they, they they keep going back into no. Uh, my conclusion was correct. You, you, uh, your conclusion is uh, it's not it's not the final. Mine is the final. Um, any other questions? And uh, also, Japanese Zen, not, maybe, maybe not, not just Japanese Zen, but, all, but Chen Zen in general, seem to allude, some, some, some interpretation of it seem to allude to that idea. Where they say enlightenment is ever growing, where they have uh, this idea of of uh, the boomies continue, 
continuing. Or this Buddha is on the 14th Bhumi, that Buddha is on the 15th Bhumi, that kind of stuff. So they have, I guess within Buddhism there is somewhat of an idea like that, but I don't, I don't quite understand, I don't quite fully understand it, what, they, what they mean by that, that the Buddha on the 15th, the Buddha on the 14th. Uh, I don't know, the Buddha land is bigger than the other I'm not sure what they mean how many beings they've helped, many beings they've helped maybe something like that I've helped 15 trillion billion worlds of beings how many have you helped I've just started I only got 1 billion <laughs> it's like black belts right? <laughs> <laughs> once you get black belt that's the highest you can go but they're like first degree first degree second, second degree yeah uh, along that line I guess and you can sort of understand uh, the reason behind it like if a Buddha has been a Buddha, imagine the Buddha that, that became a Buddha one trillion years ago. Yeah. And then someone who became a Buddha, someone who became a Buddha just this morning. So you can sort of understand that, well, you can't really say that they are act- absolutely equal. One has been around for, one has been a Buddha for one trillion years, one trillion eons. And this one became a Buddha just yes this morning. Well, doesn't the idea of once you reach Buddhahood sort of you know all seeing? Yeah, all, all yeah. Time, so, yeah, so yeah, I mean, what's beyond all, what's beyond omniscience, right? Yeah. What's more to know beyond knowing everything? <laughs> well, I know everything and more. <laughs> and I have an index. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it just makes me think of things like, well, if they say the universe is constantly expanding, why wouldn't everything? Yeah. Well, uh, that idea of a constantly expanding universe is already in the Vedas, mm-hmm. and it's accepted. All the, all the different uh, religions, uh, philosophies that came out of India. Uh, uh, most of them uh, accept that the universe is expanding, but the way they understand it is that it goes through a, it goes through cycles. It expands, reaches a certain point, and then it contracts, and it expands again, contracts. It's like the universe breathes or something. Okay. So, uh, and then wh- what they consider to be the idea of infinite is very interesting, in, uh, as far as Eastern thought is concerned. It's like you can have degrees of infinity, <laughs> which doesn't seem to, we, we can't quite wrap our minds around that. Okay. So you can consider infinity to be whatever the limit is, in a sense. Right? So it's like infinity is, or, is, or you can say it's a relative term also. So how, it's like, uh, uh, imagine parallel universes, right? And they all have, they're all infinite. And relative to each other, you can say, well, how far does your infinity reach? <laughs> okay. It's like, it's like when you, uh, if there is such a thing, uh, imagine the universe is like a sphere, kind of, kind of, kind of, and then, you start at an infinitesimal kind of dot and you're trying to move around uh, the point where you're able to come back that would be like the, your infinity so to speak I mean it, 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 it 
to try to explain it in that way is uh, you have sort of like we move infinity out of it, which makes it doesn't make it infinity anymore. <laughs> so you're not you should, you're not comparing infinities, but just you could just say it and you say it without uh, necessarily understanding it. Oh, they have different infinit- in different infinities. Okay, <laughs> and it, it, it sounds like uh, I guess something you could say. I'm not I'm not a math person. Anyone a math person here? Can you sort of say that? In math, different infinities? I don't know. I'm not a mathematician, but it seems like infinity sort of like a means there's no end. Mm. You know, that how can you can't measure something. Mm. So the whole idea of trying to say one infinity is greater than another mm. sort of thing. Yeah. So it's almost like if the universe is expanding, it cannot be infinite. Right? Doesn't that make sense? Oh, it, 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 it went beyond what it was before. If it went beyond what it was before, you could, how could you say what it was before was infinite? thing here about cosmology that will we reach is the, the Mahayana cosmology is, is the idea of, uh, of uh, Buddha fields or Buddha heavens uh, and it is understood in that, in that sense that different Buddha lands, different Buddha fields will, uh, they are different from each other like, my, like Maitreya's Buddha land is different from Akshobhya's Buddha land. And you read in the sutras where they're even compared to each other in, sense of, in, in terms of population, in terms of size, where one Buddha land has more po- uh, population than another Buddha land. One Buddha land is, has more surface, you know, square miles <laughs> than another Buddha land. And that is that comes uh, that comes into play into where the bodhisattva makes personal vows. There's the vow that all the buddhas, uh, all the bodhisattvas share in common, but they are the vows that are personal for each bodhisattva. Uh, and and along the along the path, they will say, uh, by doing this deed. I dedicated so that in my Buddha land there will be no, there will, there will not be this. In my Buddha land there will be this. In my Buddha land it will stretch, the, no, if, if this much. In my Buddha land there will be this kinds of people. In my Buddha land there will not be these kinds of people. And that exp- that is the explanation given for why there are well sort of like uh, bouncing bouncing on each other kind of explanation as to why there are different Buddha, Buddha lands. So that will be a difference in... Uh, uh, but remember, Buddha lands are not... They are somewhat finite, and at the same time, not finite. You want to say about that? Uh, uh, 
it is, as far as the Buddha is concerned, the Buddha who dwells there, that's it. I mean, there's no more evolution for that Buddha to go to. That's finite for the, for the Buddha. But the, but the Bodhisattvas who dwell there, they're still, they're still uh, training. They're still evolving. So in that, in that sense. Okay. When you reach a Buddha land, if it's not your Buddha land, you're still evolving. If you reach a Buddha land, it's your own Buddha land in the sense that it comes from your own merit, from your own work, then that's your, that, that's your finite. But at the same time, uh, it will be there for, for an extremely long time, but there is some sense of an idea that eventually there will be no more students. What's beyond that, my, uh, I guess that would be like uh, somewhat of an explanation, somewhat of a train of thought that will go into what is beyond Buddhahood. Not exactly the same thing, but imagine uh, a time now every single sentient being is in a Buddha land. There are no there there are no more beings in anything less than a Buddha land. Right. They, meaning they himself, themselves have become Buddhas, or they're, they're, they're Bodhisattvas. Okay. All right. Okay. Imagine a time when every being is no. There are no more beings in. Uh, uh, in samsara, okay, and they're all now, but David, you fully reach Buddhahood yet. So, everywhere you go is a Buddha land, and what does that mean? Is a Buddha land? It means the president of, of the of <laughs> the president is a fully enlightened Buddha, and you know is a fully enlightened Buddha, okay, and everyone there exists for one purpose only. The gross natural product is Buddhahood. <laughs> okay, so everyone there is working for to reach full enlightenment. Okay, after some incalculable ages go by, now everyone is now a fully enlightened Buddha. So the purpose of the Buddha land, yeah. So what's beyond that? No one expe- No one says anything about it. You know why? It's already beyond our comprehension what is a Buddha land. To try to figure out what is beyond that is just ridiculous. So if there is a a state beyond Buddhahood, it is ridiculous to try to to imagine it. Maybe there is. Maybe there isn't. But as far as where we are right now, it makes no sense whatsoever to try to understand, try to figure it out, mm-hmm. trying to establish whether it is true or not. Okay. At, at some point, I remember you saying, uh, "There'll never come a time when you cease to exist." Yeah. Would you? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit unfair for you, like if you said uh, it's incomprehensible, and then I'm asking you to like. You know, talk about it, <laughs> but, but but uh would you hold to that even at the state when that last Bodhisattva becomes Buddha? Mm-hmm. Now everyone's Buddha. Mm-hmm. Would you hold to that too, that even then they, they wouldn't cease to exist? They would they will continue to exist. Yeah. As as Buddhas. Buddhas. Yeah. <laughs> and exactly how they relax? I have no idea. 
<laughs> when all the work is done, how the Buddha is relaxed, what the vacation, what the vacation will be like. Maybe they get bored and start the stuff all over again. I don't know. <laughs> well, let's pretend to be sam- in samsara. Okay. <laughs> oh, there's nothing to do. There's no being to. There's no being to rescue. I mean, come on. Why don't you pretend to be in samsara and I come in there? <laughs> Become bored? Above that, beyond that. Beyond that. The potential to become bored. That is only because we're looking at it from our perspective. Hmm. That's only because we're looking at it from our perspective. Yeah. And if our perspective disappears. Yeah. Well, I mean, to become (laughs) become bored, then you have to be feeling like uh, there has to be wanting some. Uh, sense stimulation, yeah, and having some sort of uh, yeah, having one ha- having the need to have a sense stimulation, something that we can only we can relate to. Yeah, so aren't, isn't a good of having transcended that? Yeah, so there's no need for him to. The Buddha cannot experience boredom. Okay, all right, right. Mm-hmm. So okay, so then they would. Yeah. It would never be bored. Right. But you said that, that that's only from our perspective that they transcended that. No, it would be from our perspective to think that after a trillion eon when there's, there's no more beings to rescue, they would be right. bored. They would, all right, so that's the opposite. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I find this... I think one benefit, uh, if, it w- if it was something Buddha himself said that if someone had asked, once everyone becomes enlightened, then what? If not answering, I can understand why not, not, not just, or even saying, okay, let's not go into that, or it's mm-hmm. beyond our comprehension. Mm-hmm. Because I find that line of thinking is is demotivating for me. Really? When I think about, yeah, because I don't know why I think, okay, now everyone's enlightened. It just, it seems. Something about it is quite See, you're trying to imagine it. And the only way for you to imagine it, you have to use references that you already know. Yeah. It is, it, uh, it is something that you, have, that you have not yet any... Uh, taste of. Any taste of, any, uh, <coughs> any sense of... No, it's, you could say it's like it composed. It is composed of elements or uh, uh, objects that you've never experienced, that you've never perceived. Right. How can you explain them? Other than you've never perceived them, that's the only way to explain it. Right, right, right. If if there can be some sort of reference to to something that you that you already experienced, you can sort of use it as a sort of like a metaphor. It is like that. It is like that, but it's not that. It's like uh, you you went to the tropics and then you tasted this uh, tropical fruit, and you go you come back here and then you're trying to explain to someone who's never been there. And like yeah, you say it's like kind of like cantaloupe, but it's only because you can make the person has a reference of cantaloupe. 
Yeah. It's so, so you can sort of give the person an idea what it's like. Yeah. But if the person doesn't even have candle, and it's like candle, there's no way you can explain it to the person. Right. You only can tell the person that. Go over there and you'll see it. It's not that its very nature is inexpressible nature. Right. Like that, that you know, or was like saying, not even the Buddhas can express it to each other. Right. It's just for, uh, for it's, us. It's yeah. beyond what we can do. Yeah, because we don't have the vocabulary for it. Right. We don't have any experience that can uh, that can have any kind of uh, uh, what's that word I'm looking for? Any kind of a ref, ref, what? Reference point? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Count. <laughs> uh, uh, have you, uh, I guess, you, I guess it's called soursop? Soursop? Um, what's soursop? Never heard of it? Maybe, uh, maybe, it's, uh, maybe we have different names for the same kind of thing. It's a fruit. It's green. It has little uh, black, black uh, little. Not, not cute. <laughs> 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 it's green, uh, green like an avocado. It has a tough skin. It has a not not that tough. It's kind of a almost like a kiwi kind of a feel to it, fuzzy. And it has little black, uh, uh, not not just spots of color, but you know, like little, little not little for bumps, for like bumps, little black bumps on it. Huh? And then, it, and then inside is it's no, it's it's I don't know what you call it, sour sap. It's about it's about this no, it will fit inside your your hand. No, breadfruit is much bigger. Than it's it's uh, breadfruit is much bigger than it. And okay, <laughs> and uh, it, it inside of it is like custard. Yeah, and it has little black seeds. In, it's in the tropics, <laughs> the tropical fruit. You probably find it in in, in Chinatown. You find all yeah. kinds of fruits in Chinatown. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, I just gave you. I, gave, I was able to explain something to you, but using references that you already have, the green, the shape. But if if what if if what I wanted to explain has none of those characteristics, something other than any of those characters, there's no way I can explain it to you. And you can't find Yeah. Manhattan's not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's not like the thing is by its nature completely inexpressible. It's just, it, I mean, being able to express something is uh, something that happens between two people who have a common vocabulary. Like, uh, there's, there's I don't, I don't, have you ever heard uh, a language called Sang Sar? 
Sansar? Sounds like Sansara. <laughs> well, it comes from the same language. Sansar is supposed to be uh, of a language that meditators in India use, and that only meditators can understand it. Because they're, they're, they're using references that only meditators experience. So that's what sansar is supposed to be. So those meditators, because they have common, uh, they have common shared experiences, they can have, they can label those experiences for each other, and they could, uh, they could, they could have a conversation about something that other people have no idea what they're talking about. Okay. So you can, I can imagine two Buddhas talking about, you know, the state of Buddhahood to each other, you know, and perfectly describing it to each other, and just expressing it. Right. So it's, it's not that the state is inexpressible. Being inexpressible means that you don't have the vocabulary for me to even try to explain it to you. Uh, have you ever had any uh, an emotion and the only way to, to describe it is using words that have nothing to do with what you're describing? One, what you experienced? How does it feel like? It feels kind of bluish. <laughs> Bluish, it's kind of a, you know, bluish, sweet, sour. <laughs> okay. And, and these are the only reference words that you can use for yourself to describe your experience. And if the person had the same experience, and they would say, oh, I see how why you use bluish, sweet, sour to express it. It sort of feels that way. Okay. And then those now get those kinds of made up terms get embellished, embellished, and they become their own language where blue and reddish and those kinds of just don't make sense anymore. I mean, just don't apply anymore. It becomes a completely different language because it has different things that it's labeling. No, it's like uh, in, in the embellishment of it that it, it goes more refined, more refined. It's like uh, uh, there's, a, there's a more refined aspect of that feeling. The feeling or the, the, the description? The, the, the experience. There's a more, yeah, more, ref- and more, into it. more and more refined aspect of the experience that you have to go just create, create new terms for. Oh, and then you drop the blue and the sour. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a uh, blue douche. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have a friend of mine. Up to this point, is fifty-five years old. I think fifty-five. Yeah. He's uh, ever since he was a teenager. He, w- he would go, his, his, his own personal fun was to, to create terms. Uh. And Bludush is, uh, is his cr- latest creation. <laughs> Bludush? Bludush. Bludush. Does it have a spelling? <laughs> he just made it up. <laughs> Bludush. And he would now go, we have a conversation, about, oh, that's Bludush. Mm-hmm. He have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> 
And isn't that how we sort of pick up language? Especially language when it comes to emotions. I mean, it, uh, you can say, oh, chair, you can say cushion, you can say black, you can say red. And you say, oh, okay, that's oh, red. That sound is referring to, to that. There's something about that. But when you say happy, sad, anguish, uh, more very, very internal things, how, how do we point, 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 point them out to, to, to our child and, and be able to let them label it? Happy? Yeah. How did you do that? I don't know. I just told you it's like happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, you, you say it's the same way you say uh, no, hap, uh, black, uh, cushion. So there's an uh, emotion and then, and then there's a word that is used in reference to that emotion. So one day I'll be able to understand what dudish is. Because I'll be, be able to say, oh, that was the emotion I had the last time he said brutish. This must be what he's referring to, brutish, brutish. He's referring to brutish. And it could be completely <laughs> not it. But now I brutish I, 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 as a, I, I apply the label brutish to something. All right. That's it for now. I hope I sort of gave you like uh, today a st- like uh, the common uh, starting point, so to speak, as far as the relevance of, of, of the Buddha, the relevance of the Buddha's teaching. How is it relevant for you? It's like it's like uh, sour sap. Okay, how is Buddha like sour sap? <laughs> If Sausap has no relevance to you, what should I bother explaining to you? If Nirvana has no relevance to you, it's not something that you had no... Well, it has, there's nothing in your universe that has any aspiration for anything that the description of Nirvana can fit. What's the point of, of it being explained to you? What's the point of you studying about it, learning about it? So you, you see that it is, there is a relevance. Ah, that's what I've been looking for. He's calling it Nirvana. What they are calling, what 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 they are calling, what I wanted, it seems like it's not what I want. Okay, like uh, according to Buddhism, being one with Brahma is not what you want because there's something there's something beyond that, and you want some, we all we all want something beyond that. Maybe Nirvana is that be, is that that thing that we all want. Okay, that's the relevance of it. I'm short, my There's going to be both Tibetan and English, I mean, except already long. <laughs> uh, that's not it. Sashi, 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 Sangesh 
Here is a ground anointed with incense and flowers strewn, with its mount Meru adorned by four continents, sun and moon. Visualized as a Buddha field, I offer it to the merit field. May all beings partake of the supremely pure Buddha field. Itam Guru By this virtue, may all beings perfect the accumulations of merit and wisdom and achieve the two holy bodies that arise from merit and wisdom. <laughs> 